I think that brand new song, Not Afraid, is going to become one of our favorites. So you just need to get to know that one because that one is strong. We're going to be in Matthew 19 if you want to turn there this morning. Uh, Glad that you're with us. First Sunday of the new year. Everybody doing good? Everyone had a good first week? Kept all your resolutions, right? No one's messed up at all in any of those. That's cool. Um, hope that you, I hope that it has been a good start to the year. And, um, you know, that's w- one of the things people talk about a lot right now is these New Year's resolutions and how, um, you know, people are trying to turn over a new leaf, you know, and kind of start some new patterns. And we all know, though, that really nothing is any different than it was a couple weeks ago. Right, like the the things that you're carrying, you you carry it into the new year. But yet, culturally, New Year's resolutions are kind of a, a part of just our normal rhythm, and they're not. There's, there's nothing wrong with them, really. Uh, there's something actually good about taking a, a taking a minute and looking at your life and saying, "What do I really want my life to look like?" going forward and how do i you know how do i get there um and there is a freshness about a new year and um i was thinking about new year's resolutions and i was thinking about this episode of the office where uh if you're not familiar with the show the office is a nbc sitcom that's really it's literally what it sounds like it's a bunch of people that work together at a a thriving paper company in scranton pennsylvania and uh, it's a character-driven show. And so this is not going to make sense to you unless you know the show. So I'm sorry. But there's this, this one episode where they it's, it's the beginning of the year. And uh, the office manager decides to make a New Year's resolution board. And everyone can write theirs on a card and put it up there so that it gives a little bit of accountability and a little motivation. And you can kind of see what everyone's striving for. And here's, here are a couple of them. A few of them I will choose not to read. Um, Angela wants to make time for romance with the senator, her her husband, I guess. Um, Ryan wants to live life like an art project, which makes no sense, but that's pretty much his whole character. Um, Andy wants to learn to cook for one, which is a little dark, but... um, Yeah. Uh, Aaron wants to learn a new word every day. And she updates that that is going immensely uh, in the episode. So Pam wants to drink less caffeine. So that's pretty, you know, a lot of people do that. They're like, I want to do less, less of this. Pam wants to drink less caffeine. Oscar wants to finish the living room. So maybe you have some projects that you want to finish that you may relate to that. Daryl wants to read more. Um, Holly wants to cross train. Creed wants to do one amazing cartwheel. And uh, and he does it. Spoiler. Um, it's, it's a good one. Um, Michael, it just says floss. And, <laughs> you yeah, know, probably not the dance. But um, Jim wants to ride his bike more. Meredith wants to cut down to two cigarettes a day. Phyllis wants to do yoga. Uh, like, all these are, are, like, fairly common that you hear. You know, there's, there's habits. There's different patterns you want to change. Things you want to do more of, less of, that kind of stuff. Here are my, my favorites, though. Gabe wants to be less squeamish around people's dogs and babies. That's a good one. Kevin wants to eat more vegetables, which then he later discloses, he says, really all I have to do is eat one because last year I ate zero. So uh, eat more vegetables. And Kelly wants to get uh, to get more attention by any means necessary. Um, 
those like we can kind of see ourselves in some of those you know it's like fairly common to say um it's a new year here's an opportunity to maybe hit reset on some stuff and a lot of it comes down to to this kind of idea you're saying okay what what do i want my life to look like and what needs to change in order to help make that like my my reality in other words you're kind of saying what like i want to have vision for my life like I want to be able to look down the corridor this year, and there's some things I want to see happen. I want to have a vision for my, what my life will look like. Um, and so here at the outset of, of a year, as a church, I'd like us to all do something together. Um, and I want it to be modeled after someone who is really one of the most harshly judged figures in the whole Bible. And it's uh, Matthew 19, starting in verse 16, the story of the rich young ruler. Um, let me just read it for us. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So when we get back into the Gospel of Mark, uh, we will get to, the, to Mark's account of this story and kind of approach it from a different angle, a little more in-depth. Because um, Jesus goes on to talk about a lot of profound things, of course. Um, but here's what we know about this guy. We know when you, when you take Matthew's telling of the story, Mark's and Luke's, you put them all together. We know that he was young. We know that he was wealthy. We know that he was powerful. Uh, those are terrible combinations, right? Like young rich people are known for their great decision making, right? Like that he, you didn't get, there were no like um, Mark Zuckerberg types back then. You didn't have these really young billionaires. This was probably inherited money. So not only was he wealthy, but he didn't have to do anything to earn it. That's kind of like all he's known. So he's, he's, he's young. He has a lot of money. He has a lot of power. Uh, we also know that he is religious, because he is talking about the commandments and keeping the commandments. So we know that there's some sort of connection to the people of God that he has. He's probably Jewish. Um, and we know that he is uh, concerned about being a part of God's new redeemed world. Because when he, he asks, what do I have to do uh, to have eternal life? That terminology is, he's not basically saying, what do I have to do to go to heaven when I die? He's repeating the same language that Jesus has used in his teaching. So he's been following Jesus. He's been listening to Jesus. He knows that, that Jesus has come to inaugurate this new kingdom era, and he wants to be a part of it forever. And so he simply just asks Jesus for clarity on, hey, what, what exactly do I have to do for that to be my reality? Um, so Jesus' answer, he kind, of, he kind of combines a couple of things. He gives, so like in verse 18, 
Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, which one? Jesus rattles these off. Verse 18. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives five commandments out of the Ten Commandment list. And he gives one commandment out of the great commandments, um, which are summary statements of the other ten. So basically, he kind of he gives like half the list. And the guy's like, okay, I've, every one of those boxes I can check off. Like that's, none of that stuff sounds new to me. It's kind of an interesting response on, on Jesus' part to that question. We'll cover that when we get to Mark's gospel. Regardless, he says, what does it take? Jesus lists off five commandments and then one of the great commandments, which is just like a summary. And this guy looks at his life and says, okay, I've, I've done all those things. And he asks this really remarkable question. Look at, look at, and maybe even consider underlining, verse 20. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? That question right there takes a lot of moxie to ask. It takes a lot of guts to come before God and say... I feel like I'm doing all the things I need to do. What am I lacking? He senses that there's still something not connecting, you know? He's like, okay, well, I've done one, two, three. I've done all those. I've loved my neighbor. Like, why do I still feel the need to ask more, you know? Why do I still, why do I still feel like I'm coming up short? What do I still lack? Because that is not doing it for me. You know, you can, and I can, can beat this guy up over whatever we want. We can be like, oh, he's a r- spoiled rich brat. And, you know, he goes away sad at the end because he didn't want to give up his money. And like, we can, we can judge, you know, whatever you want to, but it takes a lot of courage to come before God and ask that question to say, look at my life. What, like, what, what am I lacking? It doesn't mean lacking, like in terms of like, not in a, Am I lacking something in my identity? Am I lacking something in um, the, like, is God withholding something from me? It's not that kind of lacking. What he's really getting down to is he's saying, okay, something, something's getting in the way, though. Like, something still isn't, isn't right. What's, what's hindering me? What's distracting me? What's getting in my way? What, uh, why do I not feel any, any different and it's such a common experience, you know, where you're, you're, you're like keeping all the, like the moral rules of, of like what it means to be the people of God, you know, and you're doing the church, the church thing. You're, you're going to church, you're in a small group, you, you sing when it's time to sing, you pray when it's time to pray, you give when it's time to give, you're, you're doing all those things, you're checking all those boxes, and yet you still feel like something is lacking. That is a very common reality for a lot of believers. If you feel that way, you, just, you need to know, one, that you're not by yourself. That that is really normal among us. And sometimes you feel that lacking and you start to realize, especially at the beginning of the year, you're like, man, I... I lack the same way at the beginning of 18 and 17 and 16, you know. 
And you kind of start to look at your life sometimes and you're like, man, I, I don't really look that different than I did uh, a couple of years ago when it, when it comes to like my connection to the Lord, the fruitfulness of my life. But, I'm, but it's frustrating. This, this is a frustrated question right here. He's saying, I'm, do, I'm doing all that stuff. What am I still lacking? What's, what's, what's in the way? What are the blockers here? And so if you can relate to at least that part of this guy's quest, then, like I said, you're not alone. And you need to do what he did. You need to ask Jesus for help. It's just that simple. And so whether you're near or you're far away from the Lord, you know, there's, always, there's always more for us. So you may be as close to the Lord as you've ever been. You may be as far as you've ever been or anywhere on that spectrum. And yet there's always room for growth. There's always a, a, a place for us to, to go deeper and closer. And I would like for us as a church to take a cue from this guy and to bring ourselves before the Lord and to ask him, what do I still lack? Whether you're frustrated or not frustrated, it doesn't matter. There's, there is always an opportunity to go deeper. Lord, what do, what do I lack? There are a lot of aspirations that we have uh, at the beginning of the year. Those, that list from the office or whatever list that you can think of in terms of New Year's resolutions, a lot of them are good and a lot of them are involving like very like temporary things. All, all, of our resolution, all of our resolutions don't extend into eternity. A lot of them are just kind of here and now type stuff, which doesn't mean that they're evil or sinful or wrong or that we shouldn't make them. But if we invest all of our energy and all of our time and all of our resources into these temporary things, and yet we're ignoring these eternal, long-range things, then we will be back here in January of 2020 asking the same thing. What do I lack? Why do I still feel the same? Because our investment cannot be only in things that have to do with this life. And so if we can aspire for all these changes and growth and all these things in temporary things, then surely it's worthwhile for us to come before the Lord and say, Lord, when it comes to my eternal like, condition, like my, the state of my soul forever, my life with you forever, what do I still lack? How, how can I get closer? How can I grow deeper? How can I morph and change and transition? Because we are like, we are transformers. Like that's, that's part of, of who we are. And, um, I kind of wish that there wasn't a toy called that cause it kind of takes the wind out of the sails there. But like, that's, that's who, that's who we are. We're, we're morphing, we're changing, we're constantly growing. And part of my fear for my life and for congregational life is that we'll kind of get to a point where we're comfortable and it stops our pursuit of holiness and godliness and maturity and transformation into Christ-likeness. It's where we're like, oh, I don't know, I'm pretty comfortable now here. 
When Jesus is saying, no, but there's so much more. There's so much more. I have so much more for you. And so that's why I bring you a pastoral request. Is will you come before the Lord and ask him what you still lack? But I need to warn you, they need to be ready for some brutal honesty if you're going to ask that question and mean it. One time, um, my family was, um, my, my parents had gotten to know um, a, a couple, and this guy's name, uh, he passed away a couple years ago, but his name was Vernon Roger. You guys might remember him. He was a newscaster, but he was also a chef. And he would do all, he would do all these cooking segments and how he had a little restaurant and stuff. And like, he could just, he's like from one of those guys from Eunice and like everyone from Eunice can cook. And so he was just phenomenal. And, and so my parents had to be friends with him. And we went to dinner at Ralph and Kaku's one day, one night for something like one of those rare times when we went out to eat. It was like the biggest treat in the world for us. And the um, Vernon like ordered all this stuff, you know, and they had turtle soup on the menu, which to me just sounds like you're begging for salmonella. I've uh, never had it. Don't want it. Uh, he ordered turtle soup and they bring it out and he's eating it. And so the, it wasn't too long before this whole like parade of like the chefs in their coats and their hats and stuff, they all like come trouncing out cause they want to meet him. And so they meet him and he's, you know, complimentary and stuff. And they're, they're like, what do you think of the turtle soup? And he, he says, I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad that I ordered it, you know? And the chef says, no, like, how would you, how would you tweak the recipe or what would you do differently to it? And Vernon, he looks at me, he says, do you really want to know? And the guy was like, well, yes, of course. And he told him, he was nice about it, but he was like, it's to this, it's to this. You did this wrong. You did this out of order. I can tell that you rushed this part of it and all that stuff. And he might've just been making stuff up. None of us really knew, but it was just one of those moments where I love the fact that he was like, before I tell you, I want to know if you really want the truth from me or not. And I feel like this is, is kind of what Jesus does with this guy here is he's like, what do I need to inherit eternal life? And he tells him, he tells him the truth. And then when the guy's like, when the guy presses him for more information, I feel like there needs to be a gut check moment of like, you sure, you sure you want to know the answer to that before you ask it? And so he's like, no, I want to know exactly what it is. So Jesus is brutally honest. So you need to be ready for an answer. But, but look at that verse. Um, Sorry, look at verse 20. Young man says, all, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. If you're going to come before God and ask him, what do I lack? He's, he's going to show you. And don't get too hung up on like, like the, my terminology there. Um, God communicates with every one of us differently. So don't feel like you have to have this like audible, like, you know, voice from heaven or uh, an angelic messenger comes to you in the night or whatever. It's don't compare yourself to how other, other people hear God, but God communicates with his people. He knows exactly how to get his point across to you. So don't worry about what if I don't hear him? What if it's me and not him? And then those kind of things. I'm not trying to belittle that. I'm just saying a lot of times we don't even ask the question because we're so paranoid that we won't be able to understand what he's communicating to us. Just ask the question. Just ask the question. 
He will get it across to you. And when you ask that, you need to be ready for him to be, um, to be very honest. And so uh, Jesus, so in, in this account, he says, what do I still lack? In Mark, when, when Jesus responds to him, he goes, you lack one thing. And he tells him. He's like, you lack one thing. It's like he, Jesus is like, okay, cool. It's like he takes his finger and he puts it on one area of life. He's like, this right here. This is what's getting in your way. So much kindness in that. It's just one thing. If you come before God and you say, what do I lack? And you're worried that he's going to rattle off 25 things. You need to just take a breath. He's probably not going to do that. He's probably going to say this right here. Let's start here. Now there may be 25 things on the list. But he's probably just going to say this, this one. Because 17 of those 25 are tied to this one. You fix this one, it's going to trickle out. Let's get down to this, this one thing. So for him, he says all of your angst is tied to your money. So, give it to your money. Easy fix, Right? Because Jesus has already like taught us that where your treasure is, your heart is there too. So relocate your treasure, relocate your heart. So, so your treasure is in your, is in your possessions and your wealth and your power and those kind of things. So instead of being uh, young and wealthy and powerful, give it all away so that you become young and poor and powerless. Move your treasure, move your heart. But he doesn't just leave it at that. It's not just this mechanical thing. He doesn't say, well, I'll just give you another, another task to go do. He says, do that, but then notice what the follow-up is. It'll be, if you be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. So that's that long-term thing. Then he says, and come follow me. Don't just get rid of your stuff. Do that and then come and walk through life with me. Come live your life uh, at my side and watch the transformation that comes when that's the way that you live. He's like, I don't, I don't, really, I don't want you to just go give away all your money and stuff like that and then just go home and be poor and powerless. I want you to be poor and powerless right here at my side and then let's walk through life and I'll show you what real living looks like. And the implication is that the first thing has to happen in order for the second one to happen. He looks at him, he points and he says, and, and with all of your angst tied to your money, you are not going to come after me while you still have all that stuff. So if you really want to come after me, you've got to get rid of those things because you're, you're so connected to that. There's so much idolatry and sin and security and everything tied up in, in that part of your life that you're never going to fully abandon your, like, you're never really going to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me with that still being there. So you need to deal with that. Jesus doesn't want part of his life. He wants his whole life. And he loves him enough to say, this is what's killing you. Like this, this is what you are lacking. This is what's in the way. 
So for him, it was wealth. For us, could be wealth. You bring your, when you bring yourself before God and you ask him, what do I still lack? It's probably, he's probably going to go to, I just kind of put it in three different categories. He's probably going to identify some patterns in your life. He's going to identify either patterns of idolatry or patterns of sin or patterns of distraction. So you know what's holding you back from, from fully following me? It could be idols. It could be sin. could be just you're just distracted. So by idols, I'm talking about like su- substitute gods. So in his life, money was a substitute god. That's, he looked to money to provide all the things that actually God provides for us. So he exchanged God for money. For us, it could be it could be money, it could be possessions, it could be relationships. There are plenty of times where um, someone that you are connected to, you're looking to them instead of to God to provide you know all those kinds of things. Um, it could just be the general American dream that's in front of us. We're we're trying to check all those boxes of like fulfillment in this life as if this is the only life that we have to live. Just in case eternity isn't real, I'm going to try to live to the fullest now. And we, you know, those kinds of things. So could be patterns of idolatry of you looking to people or things or ideas to find security and guidance and comfort and identity instead of God. So he, that might be what he puts his finger on and points to you like he did with this guy. For him, it was wealth. It could be patterns of sin. Like sin, sinful patterns are, they they block us from the fullness of God, from walking in the fullness. So it could be any kind of uh, self-centered and unholy behavior. I'll probably have to give a bunch of examples probably, you know. So it could be that that's what God points to, and he's like, "This this is what's lacking, this is what's in the way for you. It could also be patterns of distraction, these can be good things or bad things. You know, you can you can be distracted by um, stuff that is good. You can also be distracted by stuff that is bad. It's fine. Um, but these are things that eat up your resources, and you just keep handing yourself over to it. the The amount of energy and resources that come out of our lives into our hobbies. Unbelievable. Into entertainment. Unbelievable. Into social media. Unbelievable. Into our smartphones. Anytime I've ever known someone who fasted from any of those things I just listed, like took, I'm like for a month, I'm not going to do this. They, they are so, they're just amazed with how, like what that does to nourish them. And so easy to just hand yourself right back to it, you know. It could be patterns of idolatry. It could be patterns of sin. It could be patterns of distraction. So what would, what is it for you? Some of you don't even have to ask the Lord. You already know. You're like, I wish this guy would stop talking. Some of you really may be like, I'm, I'm really not sure. I could start in a dozen places. I'm not sure where to start. Or some of you might be like, I really have no idea. So whether you absolutely know, you can't, you don't know where to start, or you really just, you don't have a clue in this moment, it's the same question for every one of us across the board. 
to come before God and say, what do I still lack? The last, the last verse in the story, verse 22, says, When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And of course, we tend to like beat this guy up, and you know he's, he's the example or whatever, but we don't know what happened to him later. I, I told the elders the other night in our meeting, I said, I hope I see this guy on the new earth. And he's like, let me tell you how the, the, about the rest of my life. You know? What if he went away sorrowful, and after a couple of days, he was like, you know, I think he's right. What if, what if it took him a while to kind of sell things off? And like, but what if he made a transition into poverty and followed Jesus later on? We don't know what happened to him. But we know that initially, he went away sorrowful. And here's the thing about that that I think is important for us to pay attention to. Is I believe in that moment, he was focused only on what obedience would cost him. And was completely obtuse about what disobedience would cost him. So Jesus says, sell your possessions, give to the poor, come follow me. And he's weighing out, if I do that, here are all the ways that that is going to be difficult, detrimental to me, whatever. And it made him sorrowful in that moment. And I don't think any one of us in here would be like, oh, that's, the, that's great news. I would love to do that, Lord. Of course he was sorrowful. Jesus just went to his idol and said, hey, this, this right here is what is killing you. This idol is breaking your heart. None of us want that news. But he was so focused on what it would cost him that I'm hoping and praying that eventually he started to think, okay, I've counted the cost of obeying Jesus. Now let me count the cost of not obeying him. I've counted the cost of keeping my treasures only in this world, in this earth. Now let me count the cost. Uh, what if I don't have treasure in heaven? So we have to count the cost of, obe- of being obedient and being disobedient. We have to count the cost of investing in the, tempor- the temporary things and also investing in the eternal things. So just because he went away sorrowful doesn't mean that he stayed that way. You may come before the Lord, say, what do I still lack? He puts his finger on an area of life, and you don't like what he has to say, and you, maybe you walk away sorrowful. Maybe that frustrates you. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you will remain frustrated. My encouragement would be to weigh the cost of obeying him and weigh the cost of not obeying him. To think in terms of like the temporal world and the eternal world. And to have that full picture in mind. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he kind of words it like, like this. Uh, he words the same thing, but maybe a little differently. This is verse 7 and 8. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So you're saying, hey, you want to take better care of yourself? Absolutely, do that. It is, it is valuable to do that. You need to do that. But don't put all you, of your energy into something that's only going to last you until you take your final breath. Make sure that you're also investing 
energy and time and resources and, and everything into what your eternal life is going to look like and also the eternal lives of people around you. Make sure that you're thinking in this world and in the world to come. Make sure that you're thinking about obedience and disobedience. Maybe make sure that you're seeing everything. And what's, what's so tragic is that idols, they, they, they put blinders on you. Patterns of idolatry, patterns of sin, patterns of distraction, they put blinders on you to where you're unable to see the full picture of reality. And so all that we're really doing, all that I'm really asking you to do is come before Jesus and say, Jesus, will you take the blinders off of me so I can see your vision for my life? Not my vision for my life. My vision is a train wreck for my life. Your vision is holy and perfect and is beyond anything I could ask or imagine. So why in the world would I want to keep my blinders on and tunnel vision my way through life when I can come before you who knows everything, whose ways are higher than my ways, and say, what do I still lack? And you love me enough to say, as much as you're going to hate this, this is what it is. Not only is this what it is, but I'm going to help you see it fully. I'm going to empower you to walk through it. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm going to give you something to brag on. I'm going to transform you from one degree of glory to another more and more into the image of the one you're made in. It's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. So, what do you want your life to look like? No one has a better vision for your life than Jesus. So ask him. And what needs to change in order to make that vision a reality? No one knows better than him. So ask him. So what I'd like you to do, it, it can be during this service, but really I just want you to do it at some point. Can you come back in here next week? Let's all just commit. We'll be here next week. Hands in the middle. Can you come back here next week and sometime between now and then, you find time before the Lord to ask him, what do I still lack? And you just listen. Listen with your heart, listen with your ear, listen with it. Let him show you through the scriptures, let him show you through other people. Share that with your spouse, with your close friends, share it with your kids. Man, what better, what better way to train your kids than to say, all right, here's, here's how dad is uh, praying about, about this. This is what God is speaking to dad about. Ask your kids to pray for you about it. Game changer. But can we, between now and then, can we all just take some time to just ask the Lord, to give us a vision for our lives and to help us and to trust him to not overwhelm us and to not like beat us over the head with a hammer. There's a lot of kindness in this story. And you may walk away sad, I may walk away sad, but we don't have to stay that way. And maybe if we get after it, by the time we come back here next week, we're actually kind of excited about what it is. Paul said that, that he, he asked God over and over again to take something away from his life. And he got to where he was just thankful for it. God was like, you don't need me to, you don't need me to do that. I'm all that you need. And he became thankful. He became excited about it. He began to boast in the very thing that he wanted to change. And so perhaps you could tearfully say, yeah, God, I asked him to show me. And he did. And it's, it's going to be tough. I'm going to have to get some help with it. But it's going to be really good. And so what do you still lack? Only Jesus knows. 
And so I would encourage you to ask him. Now, we do a response time here at Living Hope that has some moving parts to it. Now, keep this in mind. For some of you, you're ready to talk to the Lord about it right now. You're ready to tell him yes to whatever it is. And others of you, you might be like, I need a little little bit of time. But if receiving communion, if taking in the body and blood of Christ would help you dial into what he's doing, we'll have two stations available for you, and you're welcome to come. You take the bread and you dip the juice. You take that, but it's Christ that is offering his, his life to you, that that's all the grace that you need. You can come and pray. We'll have some ministers here on the front row if you want someone to pray with you. You can give at the corner stations, or you can just sing. You can do whatever, well, within reason, whatever you want. But different personalities need to respond differently to this kind of stuff, and so um, we want to give you those options as well. So how about you stand? I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll set those things into motion. Let me pray for us. God, I'm thankful for I'm thankful for the young man in this story. And it's very easy for us to um, to crit- be critical of him. Which is very ridiculous and immature of us because there's a lot of him in us. Our lives may not look exactly like his in terms of being young and wealthy and powerful and all those kinds of things, but we understand what it means to look to something besides you for security or comfort or the things that we need. We understand what it's like to be caught in patterns of sin and distraction. I'm thankful for his example to us to come before you and just to ask you what he lacks. I'm thankful for him. And you alone, Jesus, know what what we need. You know what's what's standing in the way, what's hindering us. You know what it is. And I ask that you would just be kind in showing us that over the next week. So whether it's in these closing moments or in the days ahead, I ask that you just honor the hearts of your children who, who deeply desire to grow and morph and change and be transformed into lives that look more and more like yours. So in these moments, God, whether it's communion or praying or singing or giving, whatever would help us connect with what you're doing, would you move, continue to move in this time? Help us to respond in ways that just tell you yes. Before you even answer the question, we want our, our obedient uh, heart to just be telling you yes. And just in these few moments, would you just have your way? We, As we, your sons and your daughters, as we sing to you and pray to you and respond to your grace. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Our communion stations are open. You can come whenever you would like. And let's just respond for a few minutes together before we close.